This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome back once again to another Speak Sunderland Reaction podcast. It is another midweek episode this week as Ipswich and Sunderland have just played each other at the stadium light. Sunderland picking up all three points. It does leave them just four points from top with a game in hand, just one point away from the automatic promotion places. Joining me this afternoon is the creator of the SAFC Fans React channel on YouTube, a link to this channel will be in the description. Um, Paul, another three points yesterday and a few drinks after the game, I would imagine. How are you getting on? You well? Yes, yes, good, good. I'm over the moon with the, the three points especially. And yes, I definitely did have a few drinks after, during and after the game. I felt a little bit rough this uh, this morning. But uh, it was worth it. Uh, yeah, really good performance, especially the first 35 minutes I thought was great up until they scored and then... Uh, Maybe not so good after that, but we might get onto that later, I suppose. We certainly will. And to get the perspective on the game from an Ipswich supporter, Ace, or better known on social media as the Kid Factor, also joins us. Um, I imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast will already follow him on Twitter. But if you haven't already, I'd highly recommend it. Um, of course, he was the one who designed the shirts that we have sold through Hope and Glory to raise money for the Bradley Lowry Foundation which I will quickly add, if you did order one of these shirts, if you check your emails for an update on delivery, you will find an update there. But Ace, forgetting about last night for a little while, how are you getting on? Well, that's the question, yeah. Trying to forget about last night. Uh, it's a, it a weird one, wasn't it? But yeah, uh, I didn't drink last night. I, I was tempted to do so. I thought maybe I'll be able to referee at League One level after that, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I've seen a lot of Sunderland fans over the last year or so on, on my Twitter feed moaning about the state of refereeing. And uh, yeah. I've, I've constantly chipped in saying it's just as bad down here. But I think, you know, you guys have to accept now that we've we've definitely had the rough deal of it overall. Um, I think they're yeah. diabolical most weeks. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think a draw would have been a fair result last night. I don't think we were particularly great. And I think you guys were probably worse, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah it was, you know, it, it, I, I think... We get decisions given against us every week. Um, you know, I think everybody from a fan's perspective, you know, is, is irate with the referee. Even you know, sort of, if, if a neutral would say they've done nothing wrong, but I do think you know there was a couple of big decisions last night that you know we've we've had similar in the past and, and not you know been given against opposition. So it's a little yeah. bit hard to take, but yeah, you have to go back to the old adage of it evening out over the course of the season. Um, I very much doubt it will um, because I don't think we'll be good enough to uh, to get the rub of the green. But that's uh, that's another matter entirely altogether. Yeah, we will get on to the refereeing decisions and, and the match in general a little bit later on. But last night's game was the 10th of the season for Sunderland in the league. Um, six wins, three draws and one defeat for Phil Parkinson's side. Paul, again, we will get into the performance and the game in you know further detail. But in general, you know, given how tight it is at the top and the results that are happening around us, just how important do you think it was for Sunderland to pick up the three points last night? Yeah, I think for both clubs, it was very important. They both wanted their three points massively. At this stage in the season, it's good to get as many... I mean, any stage of the season, it's good. But I think, especially now at the moment, I still see a lot of fans uh, complaining about partners and they're not happy with them. Uh, maybe they're not 
liking his style of play or the way a lot of them are complaining about how late he makes his substitutions. But you can't really fault where we are in the league and, and the points and the, the amount of clean sheets we're getting. And even like sticking with the likes of Wyke, a lot of people weren't happy with that. And it, it's sort of working. So Parkinson is doing something right. Uh, he's seen playing. I think also. Yeah. The game yesterday on Twitter, you didn't sound particularly confident of getting the result. I think it's fair to say. And, you know, looking at the form Ipswich have been in recently. I could kind of see why. Obviously, you've got one goal against Crew, one against Gillingham. Um, I don't think you scored at all against Lincoln. And then another one-goal game against Doncaster in a, in a 4-1 defeat. Not to remind you about that one. But obviously, you still find yourselves up at the top of the end of the table. But for some reason, a lot of fans still don't seem convinced. But what have you made of Ipswich's start this season? Um, I think the, the concerning thing for me is, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to come across as incredibly pessimistic, whereas, um, you know, I, I think, to be perfectly honest, I think, you know, I'm, I'm quite realistic about our prospects. There's been, you know, been seasons over the last 10, 15, 20 years where I've been confident. There's been ones where I've not been so confident. And, you know, gen- generally, I think, you know, most fans have a, a, you know, have a reasonable feeling with the exception probably of Wickham fans going into the start of last season. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think what what happened last year and what seems to be happening again this year, um, you know, and I think there's a lot of parallels between Ipswich and Sunderland, you know, in terms of the, you know, perhaps the the quality of the performances for the, you know, the perceived squad on paper, um, you know, the managers seemingly, you know, not not being particularly well loved by the, you know, the the, the fans, but always seemingly, you know, sort of getting a result from somewhere yeah. to you know, kind of carry on a, a little bit longer. Um you know, last season we we started with eight wins and three draws. We were, you know, obviously top of the league. I think seven points clear at one stage. You know, sort of by by similar some similar sort of stages of, of last season. But the performances were pretty poor. Um, and this season we started off playing, you know, some some nice football, but very slow to build up. You know, kind of giving the opposition lots of opportunity to get behind the ball. And you know, we just seem to be one of those sides that we've we've got some decent players, but it, it feels as if the manager is holding us back and he's he's not particularly competent. And you see, you know, begrudgingly the likes of Steve Evans, you know, what he gets out of a Gillingham side. You know, Crew absolutely played us off the pitch last week. Um, you know, for yeah. the first forty-five minutes with the sort of football that we used to play, you know, under George Burley, you know, about fifteen, twenty years ago when we were, you know, at the top end of the championship with with yourselves. Um, you know, it just seems to be, um, you know, really poor football um, that this year, you know, we've had some nice little spells in, in individual games. But over the last few weeks, we've had back to back defeats at Doncaster and Lincoln like we did last year. Um, you know, we lost, um, I think it was to Rotherham and then Accrington, um, you know, to end that sort of unbeaten run we had. And from there, we had very similar performances to what we've just had. You know, the one nil wins over Gillingham and Crew, where first half Crew could have been out of sight, and in the second half against Gillingham, who you know one of the local team had seen down Portman Road for some time. Gillingham had three or four clear cut opportunities in the second half to take the lead before we scored. Um, you know, and we've been a lot more in in terms of our performances, probably typical of the first fifteen twenty minutes last night, where you know we couldn't lay a glove on you. Um, and then we kind of settled into the, you know, passing the ball around quite nicely. But until we scored, you know, just before the break, I, I don't think we'd had a shot. And that seems to, you know, be us really. Lots of nice sort of slow passing, lots of possession, but absolutely, you know, nothing in terms of cutting edge from the, the strikers. Um, and I think, you know, what we've had with Hawkins, he sounds a little bit like what you guys have had with Wyke in the sense that you don't see a, you know, a, a threat constantly 
but the manager yeah. seems to like him. And and we look a worse team, you know, when we had um, you know Hawkins out of the side. Um, but he's only scored his first goal recently. You know, we'd, we'd gone nine games or whatever without a striker scoring. So, again, I think there's, you know, by the looks of it, parallels with the struggles you guys have had with, you know, Grigg not really hitting the form that he hit at Wigan and, you know, White not doing what he was doing at Bradford. Yeah. And we will have a look at the teams that started the game last night and we will start with Ipswich. Um, Thomas Hawley started in goal. A back line consisted of Stephen Ward, Mark McGuinness, and there's always one player in the opposition team who I cannot pronounce. I'm going to try it. Aristotle and Ciala. Is that, is that a good attempt? Close enough, yeah. I mean, we could, he's just called Toto and Ciala. So I think the Aristote bit kind of gets left out. So, uh, but apart from that, it's pretty spot on. Proud of that one. And Luke Chambers, who also made part of the defensive line. Um, Teddy Bishop, Andre Dezel, Dion Edwards, Alan Judge, Caden Jackson and Junk. Lancaster. Um, Ace, were there any changes made yesterday um, for the starting eleven that you were surprised about? I know you've briefly touched on Ollie Hawkins there and I know a brief look through Twitter where there was a few Ipswich, Ipswich fans questioning why he was dropped after getting his first goal. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a weird one for me. Um, I mean, last year there was a phrase that was banded about called Lamb Bingo, um, where we used to try and guess the 11 players and if you got three or four of them you'd be doing pretty well because the, you know, the biggest criticism of Lambert last year was the wholesale changes. I mean, even, you know, last year we, we drew nil-nil at home with Wickham in a top of the table clash. Thomas Holy played brilliantly, saved a penalty, dropped the next game for, for Will Norris. So mm-hmm. there were some very strange decisions this year. In fairness, you know, he kind of said nice and early that players would, would keep the shirt if they were playing well. And by and large, they have. We've only really seen rotation in the last, you know, couple of weeks where it's been the whole, you know, sort of Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest, you know, thing for us last night before the match was Luke Wolfenden having to self-isolate. That was a, a yeah. bit of a blow because I think yeah. most most town fans, um, you know, and I think the, the jury's still out on McGuinness because he's a, you know, young player that we signed from Arsenal. who's only played a couple of league games, but he's looked excellent so far. Um, you know, Wolfenden last year, him and Flynn Downs were the two, you know, best players in that team by an absolute mile. So to start the season with Wolfenden out of the team, um, and you know, Enciala and Wilson at the back, um, and then a couple of games ago, they they were both dropped for um, McGuinness and Wolfenden to come in. So it's a bit of a shock last night to obviously see Wolfenden's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. Fortunately, I mean, there's a bit of a break in the in the league because we played the Blackpool game um, earlier in the season, yeah. um, but with a kind of rearranged fixture. So. Yeah, I think at the moment the um, you know the kind of forward positions seem to keep changing. One week Sears is in, one week is Judge Lancaster's been in and out. Um, you know, we keep getting midfielders sent off, which uh, obviously doesn't help the the midfield free. But yeah. yeah, it was strange for me that you know sort of as I said, Hawkins. We look a much better team when he's in the side without him. You know, necessarily looking a goal threat. But then he gets his first goal on Saturday, and you know, sort of immediately after that, he was you know pretty much taken off, which seemed a strange one as well at the mm-hmm. time and you know as much as Caden Jackson did last year and you know he's a really decent player at this level in a, in a two um, his first touch is pretty poor um, his heading ability is non-existent so to play him as a kind of you know central striker in that system where you know ultimately we needed the, the, the man there to hold the ball up did seem a bit of a strange decision last night so you know the, the team was roughly as expected but I um, mean you know, I wasn't quite sure it really worked initially until we got the midfielders in the game yeah um, Sunderland lined up like this with the one change um, from the win against Gillingham on Tuesday. Sorry, on Saturday. Keep keep losing track of the days with how many football has been played. But Lee Burge started in goal once again. Luke O'Neill as the right wing back. 
Conor McLaughlin, Bailey White and Tom Flanagan as the three centre-halves. Denver Hume was at left wing-back. Ledbetter played his role, protecting the back three. Um, Josh Scone kept his place in the side. Gooch was still in the side. Chris Maguire replaced Aidan O'Brien, who was dropped after what was a poor performance against Gillingham. And Charlie White started up top once again. Um, Paul, you know, Chris Maguire came back into the side, replacing O'Brien, as I've touched on there. He didn't perform midweek. But looking back at the team, is that the team you would have started with against Ipswich or would you have tinkered it slightly? No, that is exactly the team I was uh, hoping he would put out, to be honest with you. I'd like, I would I much prefer having uh, Maguire on the pitch. He can just produce something out of nowhere sometimes. I think we should always start with him whenever possible. Yeah. Um, and I was also glad to see Power having a, like a break the last couple of games as well. Uh, it, it takes a lot, for I think, for the manager to drop the captain. Yeah, uh, but I think it's working really well. I love having Bailey Wright as the captain. He, he just suits the role perfectly, and I do think he makes a difference in the squad being captain. So yeah, the rest of the team is exactly how I would have picked it. I was over the moon with it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, the game got underway, and for the first time in, in quite a few, quite a long time, really, Sunderland seemed to start the game very well. And eight minutes in, they got the reward for it. Lyndon Gooch received the ball and played. he's played a great through ball through to Charlie White, who again finished very well past Hawley, and I think that's his fifth goal of the season. Um, and again, whilst he certainly had his critics, I don't think anyone is questioning him currently starting the games now. But Paul, you know, after the startless season, none of our strikers were getting goals. You know, it's good to see one of our strikers at least starting to get on the score sheet regularly now. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, most fans, not all fans, but most fans were uh, disappointed that White was getting regular starts. But he, he is slowly starting to turn a lot of heads. Uh, mine as well. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't I was slagging him off, but I wasn't too impressed with uh, him getting regular starts over the likes of Greg, who I thought would have been uh, a better option at the time. But you can't knock him. He's, he's doing what he's being asked of. He's getting in better positions. He seems to be, I don't, I don't know, he just seems to be a bit more... He seems to have a bit more energy and he's just doing things better than he was. So, yeah, I'm over the moon with White. I'm glad any any player proven is wrong. Um, it was the same with Grandad, but before yeah. the season started, I was a bit dubious about him getting regular games, but he's proved us wrong as well. So, yeah, over the moon with White and hopefully it continues. Yeah. And I asked this, I asked Michael this at the weekend and, you know, I think his response was interesting and I'll ask you the same. Mm-hmm. You know, if Charlie White was signed in the summer just gone, and this was his first season, do you think he'd still get the criticism from some of the fans that he gets? Or do you think the criticism is solely based on, you know, the previous two seasons at the club? Yeah, it's based on, it's based on the length of time he's been at the club and his sort of goal ratio, which isn't very good. It's not, I mean, I think it was like the first 40 games or something. It's, it's, I can't remember the ratio now, but it's not, it wasn't very good. So yeah. fans... Definitely have the right to be critical of him, um, but they also should sort of send him a little bit of praise when he is doing well. I think, and he, yeah. he he is doing well, so yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and he, he's getting the goals, and I've always said, you know, a striker's main main job in a team is to score the goals, and that's what he should be should be judged on. And like I say, exactly. I that might be four games in a row now he's got a goal, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, he's getting the goals, and long may that continue, but. Yes, given given the lack of goals, Ipswich have scored in the recent games. Obviously, one against Crewe, one against Shillingham, and so on. At one nil down, did you have any faith of actually winning the game? Um, not not particularly. No, I mean, um, I think 
it's born out of two things. I mean, we, we don't have the best record in recent seasons of coming from behind. Um, you know, there's been a been a couple of games where we have, but by and large, um, you know, we're, we're not one of these teams that tends to go behind and then, you know, kind of looks as if they're shifted up a gear. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the most concerning thing about last night, once we went a goal down, was, um, you know, as I think I mentioned to you on Twitter beforehand, the... The record that we had last season against the, you know, the kind of top six, top eight clubs was, you know, was absolutely abysmal. Um, you know, there was no, no kind of getting around that. And and even, you know, this season when you look at the table, it kind of starts to settle. Um, I mean, it looks like you guys have played a, you know, a few of the teams like Peterborough, um, you know, ourselves that are up there. Um, you know, the only kind of challenges we've, we've from last night, which we lost again, was you know probably going to. Lincoln, um, you know, as a sort of early top yes. of the table clash, which we also, you know, contrived to lose. And I think, you know, Doncaster, who are one of those teams that are probably going to be somewhere below the, you know, the top six, top eight in that kind of top 10 area. Um, you know, we were comprehensively beaten there as well. So, you know, since we went one nil down, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. But, you know, once we scored, um, you know, kind of out of nowhere, really, um, you know, I thought we controlled the game pretty much, you know, from then on and, and until, you know, the end and even. Towards the end, we we looked weirdly with ten men as if we could still you know manage to get something. But I think that was probably more my heightened awareness of you know how you guys perceive Sunderland exactly the way I perceive it. Which yeah. you, were, you were all sitting there you know expecting somehow Sunderland to to concede and you know blow blow the lead, which is exactly what I'd have been doing in in your situation as well. So I think that was probably where my confidence came from that it was you, and I knew that you were just as pessimistic as I would have been. Yeah. Um, I mean, in your shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the first half wasn't the most exciting game of football, I think it's fair to say. And, you know, it was five minutes to go until half-time again. I think game management, that's where it needs to come in, but Sunderland just didn't. Um, five minutes to go until half-time. Edwards found space on the left wing. He played a ball in Lancaster in the middle, who smashed the ball through Burge, really. Um, you know, I think I said at the time, it looked a bit poor positioning from Burge and, you know, a very strong hand. But defending was poor as well. McLaughlin wasn't close enough to his man. But um, Lancaster got the goal. And Paul, once again, it was a disappointing time to concede. But up until that goal, were you happy with the way Sunderland were performing? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, obviously, we're not we're not playing at any sort of decent level in terms of what, if we win the championship or the premiership, we'd be struggling big style. But it's still nice to see us playing half decent against a, a good team. Uh, the goal itself, I think, I, I've only seen the one angle that was obviously through the stream, and it looked to me yeah. as if it looked to me as if Burge did sort of get his fingertips and it, it, it sort of hit off the post and in. That's pretty yeah. much how I, how I see it. It was hit with a lot of power, so I don't think it was a great deal. Maybe a stronger hand, yes, but I don't. Think it was you can't really knock him too much for that goal. Um, as you see, it was pretty bad defending. But yeah, conceded 35 minutes into the game, it's not a good time to concede, especially when, once we do concede, we just sort of drop off and let uh, Ipswich play a bit better, you know, come towards yeah. us. Yeah, so not not good. Yeah. And it was an assist for Edwards yesterday for Ipswich, who, in fairness, you know, I think he was fairly quiet last night. But, you know, so far this season, he's got a handful of goals. I think he's got five in the league and he's got, you know, he's got a few assists as well. Ace, how important do you think he is to the Ipswich side and, you know, your, the promotion hopes? Um, yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, he's he's weighed in with the goals. I mean, he seems to be quite unpopular with a section of, of town fans for some reason. To be as kind of a bit of a... 
you know, like you guys were saying with Wyke and, and you know, how he's ultimately judged, um, you know, on past seasons and, and, you know, his overall contribution rather than what he's doing now. Um, you know, the, the, we signed him um, under Paul Hurst when we were, you know, in the championship the season we went down. Um, and he scored, you know, in, on, on his debut, I think about five minutes in at home against Blackburn. Um, came up with an outrageous bit of skill, you know, down the flank where he kind of flicked over this guy's head backwards and, and sort of spun away. And, you know, we're thinking, you know, what what a player. And mm-hmm. it was a pretty poor season, but I think Edwards still chipped in with like five or six goals, which, may, you know, may have been top scorer or, you know, sort of second top scorer. But he's one of those players, um, you know, a bit like the much maligned Fanidi George that we had um, the year we went down in 2002, who, you know, scored nine goals in the Premier League in a, in a relegation season, but did absolutely nothing throughout the game. You know, no defensive work, you know, he was completely anonymous. And then he just seemed to pop up with a, a moment of brilliance somewhere. Edwards, for me, you know, does a lot of the dirty work. He gets back, you know, he was played last season at wing back, which wasn't his position. He started a lot of games this season on the right, um, you know, the, the front three, which isn't his preferred position. But when he's played on the left-hand side, you know, like, like he did last night and, you know, at Blackpool and, and a few of the other games, he's, he's come up with goals. So I think, you know, we, we are a team that doesn't have a lot of, you know, sort of attacking threat um, over the last season or two. I mean, Bishop's weighed in with a fair few goals this season, which has been brilliant. Um, but, you know, from Bishop and, and sort of Edwards, they, they do appear to be the only sort of two consistent attacking threats we've got. So... You know, I think it's it's great to see them both in, in form at the moment. I think you know the the concern is always if if one of them stops scoring, um, you know where the goals are going to come from at the moment. Yeah, well, half time arrived at one one, and at half time Parkinson did make an early change, which was a surprise, albeit it was an enforced change. And um, Josh Scoring went off with what I believe was concussion after he was hit in the face with a pretty ferocious free kick, but he was replaced by Max Power, who was sporting a new. New lockdown haircut, I suppose. Um, but just a couple of minutes in the second half, Ipswich had the ball in the Sunderland box and the ball passed by Lancaster, who at the time looked to have been brought down by Bailey Wright. Um, nothing was given. And, you know, I can't really remember if the Ipswich players made much of it, but I haven't had the chance to watch it back at the time. But Ace, for you, I think you said it was a stonewall penalty. Have you, have you been able to watch it back yet? Um, I have, yeah. I mean, I think the the problem that we suffer from, um, you know, the the luxury we had in days gone by was match of the day. Um, I don't know if you remember being in the Premier League. I just don't remember it. But yeah, you know, now when you've got iFollow and you've got a single camera from about 300 miles away, um, yeah. it's a bit difficult to, to say, you know, with any certainty. But yeah, I mean, it certainly looked as if, you know, your guy made, made the attempt to kind of block it and, and slid in um, and just caught him. But I think that, you know, the issue that we had is Lancaster was in the position where, it looked as if he could still potentially get shot away and it's sort of almost in two minds. I think if it is, you know, just committed to going down, um, you know, which you don't like to see, then I think we probably get a penalty there. But I think there was the fact that he kind of you know, didn't go down particularly convincingly that maybe, you know, made the referee wonder whether he'd, he slipped or not. But I mean, it certainly looked a penalty to me, but, you know, it's one of those ones, like I say, because of the angle, um, you know, it could be there was absolutely no contact whatsoever. And, you know, I'm just sort of looking at it from from our perspective. Yeah, and Paul, like obviously, it's just said there. You get one view, you get one angle, and that that's pretty much it. And you've you've kind of yeah. got to go off what people say at the time. But for you, if you remember the incident, of course, do you, do you think Sutherland kind of got away with that one? Um, yeah, it's I, I totally agree with everything he's just said there. It's hard to tell going off that one angle. I've watched it a couple of times, and it's one of them ones. It, it could have been given, and it, it, it might not have been given. It's just look at the draw sometimes with the referees. I think. Um, 
it's a very inconsistent. That's what I'm going to mention later on when we talk about the other end. Um, yeah, I can't see it for definite. I think we could have had a little bit of an escape there, yes. Yeah. Um, 68 minutes on the clock and Parkinson made another change and it was again, I've always questioned some of his substitutions and, you know, I questioned the one he made yesterday again and ultimately we've won the game so in hindsight it doesn't really matter but Chris Maguire came off and he was he replaced by Danny Graham which means now we had two, you know, two target men up front and no one to really create anything for them but Paul, for you, was that, was that a weird substitution or do you think that actually changed the game in a positive way? Yeah, I don't like to see Danny Graham and Wycombe together, to be honest with you. For me, they're very similar in terms of the tall, they're, they're not very fast. It's I don't I would have kept it as it was, to be honest with you. Or, or, or maybe brought Diamond on, had a bit of pace added to the, the team. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't have brought Danny, uh, Danny Graham on, and I don't think it helped us for the, the rest of the game. Yeah, and just going back a little bit, obviously, Max Power replaced Josh Scorn at half-time and mm-hmm. Scorn is more of an attacking midfield. We will link the attack and, you know, we will get into the box, as we did say, against Gillingham. Dan yeah. Neal, obviously still not involved in the squad. Do you think he would have been a lot more suited to that role if, you know, if Parkinson yeah. had let them out of the closet? Definitely, definitely. I think that's basically what I've just said there with da- uh, Danny Graham and Wyke. I also... Uh, feel the same way when it comes to Ledbetter and Power. I don't like to see both of them on at the same time, and I think Ledbetter yeah. is is a better player than Power at this moment in time. So uh, Dan Neil, he showed some promise and some good signs during pre-season. I would definitely have him on the bench at least and ready to play 20-25 minutes in, uh, in a game like that. Uh, it just it switches things up completely. It adds injects that pace again. Like, see if we had Diamond and Dan Neil come on, Ipswich are not going to be aware of what they're capable of doing and they're going to have some pace running at them. So, yeah, I would have done that, definitely. Yeah. And four minutes after the Chris Maguire change where Danny Graham came on, um, similar to Gillingham, the game changed completely. Um, you know, the ball was in the centre circle. Andrea Dizelle and Ledbetter were looking for the ball. Dizelle's went in and the referees blew for free kick and pretty much straight away brandished the red card. Um, you know, at the time, I wasn't even particularly convinced it was a foul. I've seen a few images on Twitter that paint a different image of the incident. And again, still images are never reliable to go on. They always make things look worse, just like slow motion does. But you have to remember the referee gets one view and one view only in real time. But I'm personally still undecided as to whether it was a red card. But Ace, red card for you? Um, it's again a difficult one. I mean, my initial reaction was that we were going to get a free kick um, because mm. of the shove on Dazelle. And then. It was, yeah, it, it took me sort of half a second to realise. I think, you know, it's one of those, I don't think Dazelle's, you know, kind of reputation comes into it because I think I'd be giving League One referees far too much credit to say that they know a particular, you know, amount. Um, you know, he, he has made a couple of silly, you know, sort of naive challenges in, in past games where he's been a little bit lucky. But, you know, again, for me, it, it, it seems weird coming on here. And, you know, when, when you get somebody who's on here for the first time and they start going on about three major decisions and suggest they all should have gone their team's way, uh, yeah. you, you probably don't come across in a particularly great light, do you? But I've, I thought to me, you know, what, what happened? Um, and again, you know, like I say some of the images on Twitter look terrible. Um, but, you know, I, I sit quite, um, quite near the front of the stand that I'm in at Portman Road. Um, and I see, you know, a lot of tackles that happen in the penalty area or in the box and, you know, they look one thing and then when you later see images on Twitter, they look, you know, horrendous or, you know, completely yeah. innocent or whatever. So 
I think for me, what what seemed to happen was Dizel kind of lost control of the ball a bit, and it, to me, it looked as if he he put his standing foot down towards where Ledbetter was, and then he got a nudge in the back. And I think the mistake he then made is he kind of as he got nudged towards the ball and he had one foot planted. I think he tried to still kind of get the ball, you know, rather mm-hmm. than just go over the foul. And I think the problem he's then got is to, to the referee, like you say, he gets one look at it. It looks as if he's gone in with both feet because, you know, they're kind of both in quite an unusual position. If you've not dived into the tackle like that, you naturally wouldn't have both feet, you know, kind of together like that. So I think, you know, coupled with the, the reaction of the Sunderland player, I think you're, you know, you're always going to be worried then that, that you know, as soon as he sort of walked off and, and went to get a card out, I was like, no, he's going to be a red card. Um, yeah. But, you know, no, I, I don't think it was a red card in the context of, you know, some of the other challenges that I think, you know, went went on and unpunished. And I think there were a lot from both teams that could have been yellow cards, you know, in the first 40, 50 minutes that he just seemed to be quite happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you guys have noticed as well, you know, you get games, don't you, where referees, it's like a switch comes on, you know, they let, you know, headbutts go and punches go and, you know, people come on with baseball bats and chainsaws and that's all fine. And then you reach a point in the game where, you know, anything, just yellow card and it's just like the inconsistency is baffling. So, you know, I, I think it was one of those, if the referee doesn't see him lunging with two foot, I don't think he should give it. But, you know, I can also understand that. They're under pressure that, you know, if he does get that wrong, then, you know, it changes the game in our favour, doesn't it? But for me, I, I think it was a bit soft. Yeah. And obviously, you've mentioned there the reputation that players have. And I think Sunderland have, well, used to have one of the best players to kind of put in that perspective in Lee Catamore. You know, he was, <laughs> you know, at least in the like, early stage of his career, he was quite a, he was a hard tackler. And, you know, a lot of the tackles that you were putting in were bad fouls. And, Towards the end of his career, he'd go in, he'd put a great tackle in, but because it was Lee Catamore, you know, the referee would say that he'd send him off. And I think the same thing kind of happened with Max Power for us. Um, I think it was our first season, League One Paul. I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you remember, but I think there was three times he was sent off and I think all three of them actually got overturned. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we don't, we don't, we never really get to see what the referee sees. And obviously, the, what he said there, he said about them being inconsistent is one hundred percent true. But yeah, I don't. With regards to that one um, during the game with Ipswich, I when I first seen it, I thought, yeah, it's a foul. I didn't think you get a red card. I thought maybe a yellow. But you, I, I always do this whenever there's a, a tackle. I don't know if it's just the the Sunderland bias, I always automatically think foul, even when it yeah. sometimes isn't. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's the same with the, the look like Debbie Hume got an elbow at one point in the face. I thought that maybe could have been a yellow. But we're just seeing, I mean, I've got a 40-inch TV. That's not very big. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if, if I had a 70-inch TV, I might be able to give a better reaction to these fouls. But yeah, to be honest with you, I can see why it was given. But at the same time, I, I, if I was an Ipswich fan, I would be, I'd feel pretty... Hard done by that. Yeah. Well, Ipswich did find themselves down to 10 men. And for them, I think, you know, at this time, a point was looking to be the result that they would kind of take at this stage. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I think that's probably what both sides deserved from the game. But again, the referee was focused on attention. Five minutes to go until full time, which was the exact same timing as the penalty we received against Gillingham, I believe. You know, one of the Ipswich defenders, I'm not sure who it was, but... You know, he's cleared the ball and he's ended up hitting his own player who was a yard away from him, looking away from the ball. And, you know, he's trying to get out the way of the ball. But with no hesitation, the referee's pointed to the spot and, you know, it's a weird one. You know, for me, in no game of football ever should that be given as a handball. You know, he's a yard away. He's got no chance of moving out of the way of the ball. But 
you know, given this stupid handball rule that's been introduced into football recently, I can see exactly why it was given. Ace, do you think that's a fair way of putting it, or do you still think, even with the new handball rule, that that was a harsh handball to give? Um, to, to be honest, I, I mean, I remember the you know the whole stuff of Eric Dyer and um, you know the, the Spurs fans being you know sort of up in arms about the rule and stuff. But you know, I'm one of these. It's it's unfortunate, but when there's a rule that's brought in, and you know whether it's VAR, whether it's goal line technology, whatever it is, you know, and and we all as football fans disagree with it. At least, you know, if it's applied consistently with the way that it's laid down, you know, you can have a little argument. You might disagree with the rule, but, you know, at least you understand that the referees are there to, to do a job and they're there to enforce the, you know, the rule, no matter how, you know, sort of silly that, that we might think it is. But I think the issue that I had with it is when when we played Blackpool a few weeks ago, and I think there was one um, a couple of weeks before that at home to um, Rochdale as well. There was one penalty that we would have had under the new handball rule and one penalty I think that Blackpool would have had and both of them weren't given. Um, and it was like, you know, as if the rule that the Premier League clubs have been, you know, sort of complaining about didn't exist. And, you know, I, I watched the games at home with my dad and we both, you know, sort of turned around and said, well, fair enough, they've evened out. And at least, you know, we've not got this stupid rule that the Premier League clubs seem to have, you know, the referees are looking at it and if it's an intentional handball, they're giving it. And if it's not, so I understand if we're talking about League One and the fact that everybody's following the same rule, but we've seen two referees this season that have interpreted it probably the way as football fans would want it to be interpreted, which yeah. is, you know, ultimately deciding whether the players made a deliberate attempt or not. And, you know, the one that we, we should have had against Rochdale, the guy's arm was in an unnatural position. He, you know, kind of put his arm out to block the path of the ball. And it was clearly done in order to, you know, but you go back to, OK, that's the referee's interpretation. He's not meant it. The thing that was kind of galling about last night is both that, you know, the fact that the rule hasn't been applied consistently. And as you say, the fact that, you know, what's happened is your guys headed it back into the box. Um, McGuinness has tried to clear it away. And as he's, you know, sort of swiveled to hit it, I think he's seen Enziala's head come in. So he's kind of pulled his foot away. And because he was swiveling his body as if he was, you know, kind of trying to do like one of these old Mark Hughes over the head, uh, over the shoulder (laughs) volleys. His arm's been out and then NCR, like you say, has just headed it straight against his arm from, you know, a yard away. And I think McGuinness has probably gone down, you know, holding his face. Yeah, he did, yeah. Which, whether, whether that hit his arm, then his face, I don't know. Or whether that's convinced the referee that, hang on a minute, I've, I've you know, I don't know what I've seen here, but it didn't hit his face. And, I've, you know, so yeah. maybe his reaction, you know, kind of made the referee's mind up. But as you say, it's just one of those where, you know, you, you shouldn't really be given penalties for, for you know, unintentional you know somebody hitting the ball from behind you against you the back of your arm when you're not even looking but I'd have no problem with it if if like I say the Rochdale and the Blackpool games the referee had also said look you know your arm's out it's hit your arm that's a penalty that's a new rule then I'd have no complaints about last night but again you know as as, as you guys have both said it's the inconsistencies and it's the mm-hmm. fact that even in league one the referees from one week to another don't seem to know which rule they're they're supposed to be you know enforcing. Yeah. And Paul, for you, what, what's your thoughts on, you know, the handball rule in general? Because obviously, it, it, the way that it is being implemented in the game now is somewhat easier. You know, it seems to be more like if it hits your, hit your arm, if it hits your hand, to handball. But there's so many in the Premier League, obviously the one yesterday, you know, the player's not looking at the ball. He has no way of getting out of the ball. He's completely unaware of it. Yeah. You know, do, you think, do you think decisions like that are, I'll say, ruining the game, but do you, do you think they're harsh? Yeah, I do. I think uh, obviously it's there's nothing that guy could have done to get out of it. There's, there's no intent at all. Uh, the team's being punished because of 
something that was beyond their control. So for me, it should, that rule shouldn't be changed somehow. Even though it's clearer and it makes it easier to understand, it makes it unfair, in my opinion. Yeah. And especially with, like AS is saying, all fans want is consistency. If, it's, if, if it counts as a penalty in that game, it should count as a penalty in every game. Yeah, you know. So for me, if I was an Ipswich fan, I'd, I would have been gutted that that was given, and it shouldn't have been given. But if you look at the rules, it is definitely a penalty. Uh, so some of the Ipswich fans I've been speaking to were saying it's it's not a penalty. If you're going off the rules, it is definitely a penalty. Um, so yeah, it's it's a hard one to take, uh, and I can understand them being sort of angry about it. But yeah, it's definitely a penalty in my opinion. Yeah. And answer quickly again on the handball rule. What what do you think could be changed to it to kind of make it more more fair to the defending teams? Because obviously, there's no intent to play, like to handle ball there. You know, he's trying to clear it out of the box up until the Sunderland half. He's not going to try and block that with his arm there, so that's not intentional. But at the same time, you see some in the Premier League where, you know, the players stand on the line, the ball hits his arm. If it doesn't hit his arm, it goes in. But they don't even get given. You know, what what for you do you think should be changed for the handball rule? Um, to be honest, I you know I didn't have an issue with the the rule as it stood for you know the last god knows how many years. I think the the issue we've got is that you know I understand certainly with I think the goal line technology has been fantastic. I think you know most people can agree, apart from you know maybe the the Villa Sheffield United game last year. But yeah. in terms of you know as, as we've seen you know in the in the Championship and League One, you know the. the the, the you know it's certainly um, the championship. Sorry, um, the ball goes over the line. You know the referee's watch vibrates. You know everybody knows that it's gone over. You'll see the replays if it's a you know kind of Sky game or whatever or an iFollow, and and you know there's there's no kind of doubt there. And I think the problem is they seem to be looking for ways to bring all the other rules in line with you know the kind of there can be absolutely no debate about it. And I think the problem yeah. that you've got with the handball rule. Is like you said, it is much clearer now. You know, if it hits somebody's hand, it's you know, it's it's a penalty. Like in the Premier League, as you say, when you see it, you know, flick off somebody's arm in the build-up to a goal, and the goal's disallowed. You know, everybody knows where they stand. But for me, the game's poorer because I think you know, again, it works well, and you know, there's always going to be ones that linesmen miss or referees miss or whatever. But I think you know, you're you're in a much better place when you're making a decision as a referee or as an assistant in terms of intent. Um, you know, rather than, like you say, just a, a winger being able to drive into the box and see a bloke's got his hands down and go, right, OK, I've got nothing on here in the box, so let's just slam it against his hands and, you know, see if I can win a penalty. That, to me, you know, ultimately, whilst it may be a rule, just, you know, kind of, I don't think that's what most of us want to see. And I think, you know, there, there was nothing wrong with the system when it was just judging, you know, whether it was a deliberate handball or not. And I think, you know, most of the time that was right. There's always going to be ones that, that go amiss. But I think generally, you know, that that was fair. Yeah. Um, well, the penalty was given and Ledbetter stepped up to take it and once again, he's, he's dispatched it very well and, you know, that was the game really, a 2-1 win and it wasn't a pretty game, it wasn't a particularly good performance but points get you promoted at the end of the day and at the minute we are picking them up. Um, at the time and, you know, at the end of the game, I said a draw would have probably been a fair result and I don't think either side really did much or did enough to actually win the game and I don't think either side showed the real quality, especially in the final third. But Ace, for you, do you think a draw would have been a fair reflection? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we, you know, we obviously had the best chance to to probably win it outside the, you know, the, the penalty with the one that Lancaster put over the bar. But, you know, I think, you know, you guys had a, a couple of chances in the, in the first half as well. So I, I think ultimately it was, you know, two teams on paper that should be doing a lot better. 
um, you know, producing a fairly sort of drab, unexciting match, devoid of, you know, kind of quality and chances. And I'd have taken a point before the game. I'd have certainly taken a point once we went down to, to sort of 10 men. And I think that, you know, ultimately would have been a been a fair result. But as you said, you know, the penalty under the rules is a is a penalty. It's given, you know, it's been converted by Ledbetter, another one of our former players who did absolutely nothing from set pieces for us for God knows how many seasons. And yeah. alas, you know, steps up and, and tucks the penalty away. So, yeah, I think the, the most frustrating thing from our point of view is that we've been in so many of these situations against, you know, the likes of Sunderland, Peterborough, Coventry last season, Rotherham, you know, whoever it is, and been completely outclassed. And I think we felt that last night, you know, for probably two thirds of the game, we were slightly better and the game was, you know, potentially there for the taking. So I think that's the most frustrating thing to not come out of that game with a point is that, you know, it was one game against a so-called promotion rival where we, you know, actually held our own rather than capitulating and, you know, looking, you know, sort of very poor and second best. Yeah. And, you know, after the game, I said this on Twitter and I think it's fair to say it's got mixed mixed reactions. But, you know, we're 10 games in and for me, I'm, you know, I'm still not fully convinced. You know, results are coming in and that's great. But I feel like, you know, from the start of today's start of the season, sorry, up until now, we've been riding our luck quite a lot. Um, obviously, a penalty last night won the game. A penalty at Gillingham midweek arguably won the game. And again, penalty at Peterborough won the game. And once that run, once that luck does run out, I don't personally think I've seen enough from the Sunderland performance to suggest that we are capable of, you know, continuing the winning run. Paul, do you think that's a, a fair way of putting it or do you see it differently? Um, yeah, I think it's fair. It's just, we are, we're not performing very well, but we're getting the results, as you say. So, is the many teams sort of better than Ipswich um, that we're going to be playing? Where... Yeah, about eight, eight, eight or nine of them, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, but like we've played the games have played. I mean, we've played some decent teams already, and we've gotten some results. Some teams that you'd expect to be up there around us. So it's a hard one because I, I think I've said before when I was on here that we do tend to play a little bit better against the better teams, but that isn't always the case, um, as Charlton proved. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think. Um, I don't know. I think I was happy with. Oh, sorry, I wasn't happy with. Um, sorry, I'm losing. I'm losing between the thought here. I, I'm never happy. I'm never happy with the draw. But I think I would have took the draw before this. Before the game kicked off. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm quite. I'm in two minds with that one. Yeah, I think. I think one of the worries for me is when you look at the teams around us. You've got Lincoln. You've got Peterborough. Mm-hmm. And when they're winning games. They're winning games because they're outplaying their opponent. You know, they're scoring goals from open play. They're getting plenty of shots on goal. And if you look at some of the games Sunderland have won, again, I've touched on it there. We've been awarded a dubious penalty yesterday. They got the three points. Yeah. We were awarded another dubious penalty against Gillingham, which has ended up winning the game. And again, against Peterborough, you know, we were dominated all game. We've escaped with a penalty. We've picked up the three points. But if you look at Lincoln, you look at Peterborough and, you know, look at Portsmouth recently. I know they didn't start particularly well, but they're winning mm. games because they are playing very well. Um, yeah. You know, the, the service to the forwards is great. The forwards are thriving on that service and the whole team is performing well. But almost every Sunderland game, when we seem to record a podcast, it's, you know, it seems harsh to say, but the negatives almost outweigh the positives in every kind of reaction to the game we have. There's always something we're not happy with in regards to the performance or the way the team's set up or substitutions. There's always something. But yeah. again, if you're picking up the results, I'm happy to, you know, 
Well, that's it. That's it. Exactly. If I, I think could win uh, games like that every week, I'd be happy. I think we, we all, we all, every single Sunderland fan will say we need more pace, we need more creativity, we could be doing this better and we could be doing that better. But we're in League One, we're playing, you know, we're playing teams either at our level or what our classes, you know, we should be beaten. I think, um, I think you've got to stick with Parkinson for a while, while we're getting results. I, I wouldn't like to change it anyway at this stage of the season. Uh, I think that should wait. I think you should get it at least till after January. See where we are before we give, give judge them and, and take it from there, to be honest with you. But yeah, I, as, as long as we keep getting the three points, I don't think there's that many teams we need to be scared of, even with the, even with the way we're playing. I don't think we need to be scared of that many teams. Uh, but yeah, the lack of chances is the biggest concern for me and, and the lack of pace. But we have got, you said we mentioned earlier on, we've got Diamond, Dan Neal. They could come in and do, like, sort of fill that void. But whether Phil Parkinson chooses to do that, in, any point remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, we will move into the player ratings for Sunderland yesterday and obviously Lee Burge starting goal and you know the still image of the gate of the goal sorry that Ipswich scored. He was very close to his front post and again I don't think his position was great for the goal. It wasn't poor but I think it could have been better but uh, this is always the hardest part of a podcast for ratings but uh, five out of ten for me Lee Burge. Uh, Paul for you. Yeah, well, I did. I did all my ratings yesterday on on my channel. Uh, it, granted, I was a bit uh, drunk at the time, but um, I did give Lee Burge a seven. Uh, I thought maybe that is a little bit optimistic, but yeah, I thought he played quite well. He did. I don't think there was much he could have done with that goal. Maybe he had a, like I said, stronger hand to try and get it around the post rather than onto the post. But yeah, I, I, I'll stick with a seven. I think. Yeah, it's just quickly on the goal that Ipswich did score. Do you think? You know, the Sunderland keep Lee Burge, do you think he's, you know, I said his position wasn't great. He was very close to his front post and, you know, Lancaster's hit the ball across him where, you know, there's a large, large gap to aim for. Do you think it was more of a great finish or do you think, again, the keeper should be doing better with that one? No, I mean, I, I, I think, to be honest, the keeper probably will be a little bit disappointed with that one. I mean, it, it almost seemed to sort of catch him by surprise whether he wasn't expecting Lancaster to have a, have a shot from there, you know, sort of seemed to take a touch and then, you know, just sort of set himself to shoot. But as you say, Burge seemed to be quite far across. I mean, I can't remember whether there was anybody obscuring his view, but it just seemed as if he kind of reacted to it late and rather than getting a kind of full palm on it and, you know, turning it around the post for an easy save, he just sort of, you know, ended up spooning it into the, you know, the, the inside of the post. And yeah, so, you know, it did look, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll take it, but, you know, it did look as if it was a kind of, Probably just a, a kind of League One quality goalkeeper trying to, you know, save a League One quality shot. Really, I think it's one of those yeah. that would have been saved at a higher level. But, you know, we've we've certainly conceded plenty of those, and I think it was just one of those where, you know, as you say, he's probably be disappointed. But maybe I'm doing a kind of disservice to the, you know, sort of the, the quality of League One goalkeeping because, you know, certainly I've seen plenty of goals scored in this division that, you know, we probably wouldn't have seen in the, you know, the Championship or the Premier League when we were there. Yeah. And um, Luke O'Neill started at wing back again. Um, you know, I think he, you could argue he was slightly out of position for the equalising goal and there was times where he was a little bit wasteful in possession. But, you know, going forward, he was, you know, he was putting some good balls in and he was linking the play quite well. So, six out of ten for me, Paul. I've got all nine down as a seven. I know, I know he's a fan's favourite. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I just like watched him on the ball. I think he does a lot more good than bad uh, and against Ipswich he, he did there. So, uh, yeah, I've gone for the the seven. I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Um, Conor McLaughlin 
started on the right of the back three. Um, and, you know, I think he's played quite well in recent games. But yesterday, I don't think he was, you know, mm. as impressive as he has been. You know, for the equalising goal, you know, I think he should be the man to go out and close the space that Lancaster had. And he didn't. He stood off. And obviously, the space that Lancaster had to get off to get a shot off was, was paramount to the goal. But... You know, he was wasteful again, similar to Onai, and he seemed wasteful in possession at times. His distribution wasn't excellent. So, uh, I think I gave him like five out of ten again. Four. Yeah. Yeah, you've basically hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what I've given him. I've given him a five, and for the same reasons. He's just, some of his passing was terrible. Give the ball away a few times and could have done better for the goal. So, yeah, five out of ten for me. Um, Bailey Wright started in the centre of the back three, and I can't really remember him doing anything wrong. Again, you could say he should be closing the man down a little bit better for the for the uh, equaliser, but I think that was you know more down to Conor McLaughlin. But I think Bailey Wright was was solid throughout. Obviously, that was the only goal we conceded, and I think aerially he was he was quite impressive. And again, you know he, he likes that diagonal ball up to Gooch or up to Maguire. So. I gave him a seven out of ten for yesterday's game, Paul. Yeah, for me, for me, all your results would be completely different if he wasn't in the squad. He makes a hell of a difference to that back line. He commands the box well, and I can see him shouting at the other defenders, telling them where to go. I, I, I love him. I think he's fantastic, and I'm over the moon that he's our captain. He gets an eight out of ten for me. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Tom Flanagan was the other centre half, and I say it every podcast that I'm, I'm not his biggest fan. And the reason, like, you know, he's not a bad defender, but the system we play, obviously you've got Bailey Wright, who's more than capable of, of playing the ball forward. You've normally got Jordan Willis on the right of the back three, who's more than capable of playing the ball forward. But Tom Flanagan, for what you would perceive as a professional footballer, his passing is atrocious. And, mm. you know, just for that reason, I think I gave him like a five, five and a half out of ten yesterday, Paul. Well, on here, I've got seven out of ten. Uh I can't remember why I give him seven out of ten, but uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't remember him doing too much wrong to be honest with you. Uh, I think out of out of offenders, I think uh, McLaughlin was worse than him, so that's probably why I've given him a bit of a higher rating. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a six out of ten. I think. I think there's a few too many snake bites involved. Last yeah, night I, gave him I had, I definitely had a few. <laughs> um, Denver Hume again. He's, you know, he's been one of our most impressive players so far this season. But again, yesterday, I don't think he offered as much to the team. And I think part of that is down to the fact, you know, we're playing Ipswich. They are a good side, regardless what he says. Um, <laughs> but um, six out of ten, I gave him. You know, I thought he was, I thought he got caught out defensively a couple of times, as, you know, I think we're kind of used to seeing now. And I think there was, I think it was last five minutes in the game, he sprinted the length of the pitch and put a decent ball in the box, but there was no one there. But yeah, six out of ten for me, Paul. Yeah, I do really like Hume. I like the way he's playing. He's he, he skinned, uh, I can't remember the name of the player, but the Ipswich defender skinned him a few times, got some good bo- uh, balls in the box, even if there was nobody often on the end of them. I, I was impressed with him. I've been impressed with him for the last few games. I've given him an eight. Very optimistic. Yeah. He's great. <laughs> 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 but Grant Ledbetter started in midfield and obviously, yes, you'll remember him. I think it was about eight years ago now he played for Ipswich, but you know, he's got the winning goal yesterday and I think before the penalty I'd had him down as a seven out of ten, but you know, I've upped it to an eight because he has won the game. You know, he was calm when he had the penalty. So I think he did his job well. Eight out of ten for me, Paul. Uh, Grand Ned better, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I've got him down as a six. So obviously you're optimistic with Grant. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I must admit, I do like having. I think he needed to have that break. He needed to have that game out. He was playing a lot of games, um, but he's come back and he he was quality. He he does calm. He calms everything down, like you say, and he doesn't really give the ball away very often. I just just the only thing I I would prefer is a bit more attacking minded, but that's obviously not his role. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I've given him a six, but I, t- I tell you what, I'll give him six and a half. I'll up it. That's good. I'm glad <laughs> you've done that. Um, Josh Scullin obviously played the first half before going off with injury. And he's a player that, again, gets mixed reactions on social media. You know, some fans hate him and some fans love him. And I think I'm one of the ones that loves him. I think he's, you know, he's our most forward-thinking midfielder. And, you know, without them, I don't think we'd create much. I know we didn't actually create much with them in the team anyway, but without yeah. them, I think we'd create even less. You know, we saw against Gillingham, he is the only midfielder who seems capable of kind of running past the halfway line. He gets into the box and, you know, if he keeps playing games, keeps getting the chances, he will start getting the goals. But I think he was capable of more than he shown last night. But six out of ten for me, Paul. Yeah, I've gone for a six as well. I'd much rather start with him ahead of power. I think he, he is a bit more attack-minded. Um, like you see, he is still lacking a few things. Obviously, the, he's having a few shots, but it's not not going where it needs to go. So, yeah, I've given I've given him a six out of ten, but I'll give his head a nine out of ten. <laughs> he did take a, take a bit <laughs> of a blow in that first half. And... Yeah, he did, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't actually go straight down when he got hit because I think it was about 30 seconds later, wasn't it? Obviously, he got yeah. off the wall and went down a little bit later. But... Yeah, he could have had whiplash off that, definitely. Um, Lyndon Gooch started again, once again, in the attacking role. And, you know, eight minutes in, we did get the goal. And it was his through ball that released Wyke, who showed us blistering pace to get through the defenders. Um, but, you know, it was a great ball through. Six out of ten for me. I don't know if he did too much else throughout the game, but, you know, he's assisted the goal. Paul, for you? Yeah, I, I was watching him quite a bit and I thought he played really well. Some of the turns on the ball was good. He, yeah. he has got that bit of pace uh, and he wasn't giving it as, away as much as he, he has done in the past. I've given him a 7 out of 10. Yeah. Um, Chris Maguire, again, you know, I said said this on Sunday, I think he's one of the players in the team where, you know, he can have three bad games, he can have four bad games, he can have five bad games. But for me, he's the player that you just can't afford to drop, obviously, if he's fit. Because I think he's the only player capable of, you know, kind of creating something from nothing. Obviously, we've seen multiple times since he signed, give him the ball 30 yards out, and he, you know, he's capable of scoring. Give him a free kick, he's capable of scoring. And he's, you know, I think he's the only player capable of doing that. But I don't think he offered too much in the first half. You know, some of his set pieces were, were good set pieces that we've just failed to get on the end of. But um, you know, he was replaced in the second half pretty early on. But again, similar to Gooch, I've, I've given him a six out of ten. Paul. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you've said there. He's still not quite up to what he's capable of doing. On a good day, he's easily a nine every game. If, if he if he if he played at his best every game, he would get a nine. But he wasn't quite with it yet. I still think he needs a bit more game time. Uh, I've got him down as a six and a half. And the last player in the starting eleven, obviously, was Charlie Wyke. And, you know, we touched on it earlier, there's, there's some fans who don't think he should be starting. And, you know, at the start of the season where he was getting game time, you know, I was one of them. I don't think I've seen 
much like up until this season, he hasn't offered anything. Um, you know, he wasn't using his physicality as well as he has been recently. And more importantly, he wasn't getting the goals. But like I say, he's got five goals so far this season and he looks to have really improved. And, you know, for as long as he's continuing that run, he should be our starting striker. Um, you know, I think he had a good chance in the second half to give us the lead at 1-1. But, he's, you know, he's he's volleyed it way over the bar. But again, I think it's, you know, six and a half out of ten. Paul? Yeah, I've been very impressed with Wake, the way he's changed things around and getting the fan, a lot of the fans on his side. He seems to be getting in positions that he never used to get in, like so, so he can receive the ball and, and have a crack. The, the, the goal he scored was a brilliant ball from Gooch and he was calm uh, and turned around and scored. So I actually give him an 8 out of 10. Maybe that was a bit optimistic, but I was I was happy with his performance. Yeah. And ace for you, obviously, again, it was a scruffy game, but was there any player from either side, really, that stood out to you as man of the match? And please do not say referee. Um, no, I mean, I to be perfectly honest, um, I didn't notice anyone for, for Sunderland do anything particularly, you know, sort of outstanding. I think, as you mentioned with Maguire, he's one of those players that, as you say, you know, he could go 15, 16 games without a goal and assist, but when he plays against you, you're absolutely convinced every time he gets the ball that a goal's coming or he's going to create something. But, you know, we're kind of relieved to see, you know, again last night that, that he didn't, you know, sort of hurt us in the, in the manner that I'd feared he might do pre-match. But for for me, um, I, you know, I thought Teddy Bishop was was probably best the best player on the park. I mean, he's, you know, just one of these players, every, every time he got the ball, he seemed to, you know, want to skip past two or three players and, and make something happen. And I think he was probably the only, only player on the pitch, um, you know, that kind of consistently did that. I think everybody else was, you know, kind of much of a muchness really. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a great deal of quality for, for me from, from either team, you know, sort of probably Bishop aside. Yeah. And Paul, for you, either side of man of the match, if you, if you had to pick one. Uh, it's difficult. I, I haven't even thought about it really. I, I would have, if I was to pick one, it would have to be one of the eights. So I will go with um, Charlie White for scoring the goal. I think I went with Bailey Wright in the match report that I did. And again, mm-hmm. I think he's him and Maguire were two of the most important players in the team, even when they're not having a particularly good game. But Wright was the man of the match for me. But our next two fixtures are cup games. Obviously, Mansfield on Saturday and Fleetwood on Tuesday in the Papa John's Trophy. I'll never get tired of saying that one. <laughs> um, briefly, Paul, just was there any changes that you'd, you know, particularly like to see for the upcoming cup games? The likes of Diamond, the likes of Neil, maybe? Them two on the spot, definitely. I would have, I would have, if he hadn't been injured, I would like to have seen uh, Kip Yorba start as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you've got to get Dan Neil and Neil Diamond out in these games and let them say, let us see what they can do. Obviously, it is against Mansfield Town. That's actually my hometown, believe it or not. I was born there. Um, I was only there when I was six months old, so I don't really know much about it. But <laughs> yeah, I moved to Washington when I was six months old, so I think you can you can let us off with that one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, definitely get the youngsters out. Anybody that seems to be playing well in the under twenty threes or whatever, give them give them some game time in these cups. To be honest with you, I'm not a massive fan. When we're in League One, the main focus should be just getting out of the league. Um, I don't like us to win, to lose games either, though, because I think winning games breeds winning. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, get the youngsters out there, see what they can do. If we don't win, we, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, Ipswich also play in the FA Cup on Saturday, I believe it is. I could be wrong on that one, but I believe it's Saturday. Ace, your, your predictions for that one? 
Um, well, Portsmouth at home. I mean, I don't know if you shared our, you know, the slight kind of, um, I say it's a sort of perverse optimism upon relegation because I think that, you know, the way that you guys did it was quite spectacular, you know, back to back. Um, you've probably got a slightly different perspective, but I think, you know, when, when we went down, it was, you know, sort of 20 years of stagnation in, in the championship, you know, we had a little run under, under Mick, who you know very well. Um, but, you know, aside from that, it was, you know, just playing Reading and Derby every season and, you know, sort of sitting around mid table and, the football was atrocious and there were two things, you know, when we went down that there were kind of silver linings. Nobody was happy to go down, but one of them was, you know, at least we'll get to go to some new grounds that we haven't been to for, for a while, um, which is obviously going great. Oh, at the, moment. Yeah. the second one was, you know, the first chance to be in the FA Cup first round, um, you know, in the, the minnows, you know, from the eighth tiers or the, you know, the local sides and we we ended up getting Lincoln and Coventry last year two of the yeah. best in our division and this year we've been rewarded with Portsmouth who have hit form at just the right time as well yeah um, and to make that even more unglamorous it's about the 18th time we've played Portsmouth in the FA Cup in about 19 seasons it just seems to be every year apart from last year we've played Portsmouth in the FA Cup and generally they've beaten us in every single one as well so <laughs> I, I don't think we'll do We'll do too badly. I think it'll be a close game Saturday, but I think that the concern for me is with the injuries that we've got, and also the fact that you know we've now got Dizel out. Um, you know we've we've only got a couple of fit strikers. Um, you know I think it's just a, a bit of a dangerous time to to be playing Portsmouth, really, given that they're on form. But obviously it's a you know cup match, and you kind of never know. We haven't got the best record in in the cup, but for some weird reason, I'm I'm strangely positive that we we might get a result. Um, yeah. But I think that's more because there won't be a replay, um, and we might just be able to drag them to the lottery of penalties. Yeah, just briefly on Mick McCarthy, hasn't he just got a new job abroad? Somewhere? Yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah, it's a bit of a strange one for me. I know it's at Apoel were I think they were champions last season, weren't they? They're down in tenth yeah. in the division. But um, yeah, I mean, the the issue we had, and I suppose you guys will have probably slightly different memories of of Mick, but. He was. It was. It was a bit weird, really. The the five years that he spent because for the first two and a half years he was exactly what we needed and he was absolutely superb. Um, you know, we were dogged, we were hard to beat. Um, you know, after being a bit of a pushover, and we would grind out wins that weren't attractive. But at that stage, you know, when you've started the season with seven points and it's in November and you're looking dead certs to go down and you finish comfortably mid table, you'll take scrappy one nil wins at Birmingham. You know, all day long. So. The first couple of years, it was great. And then, you know, at the point where we started to push on and we started getting in and around the top six, the football didn't get any better. And, you know, we we started with eight defensive players at home to Rotherham who didn't have a point away all season. And it was, you know, it's just absolutely tedious. So, in the end, it was it was the right time for Mick to go. Unfortunately, we made the wrong appointment and, you know, we are where we are now as a result. But I just don't kind of see the the logic of a team that's expected to win titles, um, you know, getting yeah. off because I think, you know, I can understand a team maybe in a in a foreign country that has, you know, got a small budget and needs, you know, everybody to, to get together, have a good team spirit, to be organised, to be hard to beat, you know, a bit like, you know, probably with no disrespect to Ireland, you know, how they are when they're in a, a group with Germany or, you know, Sweden or Denmark or whoever. But... I think, you know, for, for a team of, of you know, I, I believe I read somewhere that they've won the Cypriot title more times than any other team. So with those sort of expectations, it does just seem a bit of a strange appointment, really. But, you know, maybe maybe a masterstroke, who knows? Yeah. And Paul, just quickly, obviously a lot of fans prior to Parkinson arrived and actually thought Mick McCarthy would have been a good fit for Sunderland. Do you think he's a manager you'd like to see back at Sunderland at one point? 
Uh, I don't know. He did. He, he was okay. The only thing I didn't really like, I, th- I think he was a bit too defensive as a manager for me. I do like somebody that's a bit more attack, attack minded. But yeah, he, he did. He, he did stop the goals from going in, and he, like uh, you said, he, he he had a good knack of getting us to grind out results uh, when when they were needed. So I don't know. Uh, if it was just like a straight swap now, I'd I'd rather stick with Parkinson to be honest with you, as it as it stands. But yeah, I can't knock him to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, well, that is all we have time for tonight. And, you know, it's another podcast heavily based on refereeing decisions. And, you know, I think that will be the case for a while, certainly in League One. Um, Ace, appreciate you taking the time to join us this afternoon. You're welcome. Thanks very much. What's turned into to tonight now. Um, <laughs> Paul, likewise, good to have you back on. Thanks very much, mate. Anytime. Appreciate it uh, being invited on. No worries. We will be back again at some point over the next week or so to discuss something with someone. Um, I'm not sure if we will be talking about the Mansfield game in too much detail if we do, but we will wait and see. But until then, we will see you later.